1: Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton, and I teach entrepreneurship innovation as well as product design. I'm joined now in the studio by Bethany Edwards and Anna Simpson, who are the co-founders of Leah Diagnostics. Bethany and Anna, thanks so much for coming in.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here.
1: All right. Well, let's just get right into it and do the elevator pitch. I think I'm going to ask you, Bethany, to give us the elevator pitch. Sure.
2: Yeah. So Leah Diagnostics has developed and is commercializing Leah, which is the first flushable, 100% biodegradable at-home pregnancy test.
1: Wow. All right. I'm a little out of my comfort zone here. So maybe you can maybe you can tell me or show me what yeah, the product's all about. Yeah. We brought it. Yeah. yeah.
2: So here it is, Mm -hmm. ultra-thin, completely disposable, 100% biodegradable, and a unique way of manufacturing these kind of tests. So we're taking techniques from the paper and textile industry and mixing them with techniques from the diagnostic industry.
1: All right, maybe you can describe, because we are on radio, describe a little bit what this looks like.
2: Yes, I can, uh, and I'll let Anna jump in. Oh yeah,
1: Anna, you're our chief yeah, co-founder yeah, and chief yeah. product officer. So know. Anna, describe it. describe it for us.
0: Yeah, so it's um, color-wise, it's completely white. It's mm-hmm. made out of paper, so mm-hmm. uh, as you would think a paper product would look like. It's um, a little bit curvy. It has a wider uh, collection area than a typical pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. That's to enable ease of use on uh, the female side. And there is a window, like a traditional pregnancy test, where you can see your results, one line for negative, two lines for positive. The product construct itself, like Bethany said, is very thin. Mm -hmm. Um, It's... uh, paper-based non-woven housing that sandwiches a uh, proprietary test strip on our side with a biodegradable and water dispersible film window to see through. Um, The product itself has perforations to help with the actual flushability and dispersibility to speed that up in the sewer system, as well as a unique serrated um, perimeter seal to allow the device to be fully closed without using any glue at all.
1: Okay, so and so maybe I can describe even a little bit further. I would say the material looks to me like maybe like a coffee filter, sort of a thick coffee filter-like material. It's it's sort of that white, yeah, uh, pa- almost paper-like fil- or or a filter paper. I mean, it looks like a filtration uh, uh, paper of some kind. And it's about what about four inches uh, long and an inch wide. Mm-hmm. So it might you might confuse it for even like a big Band-Aid, for instance, something like yep. about that size, yeah. Uh, yeah. and um, and it is very thin, so it's it's maybe a sixteenth of an inch uh, thick, so it, it it sits flat. How is mm-hmm. it, uh, Anna, say a little bit about how it's packaged and how I would carry it around. Uh,
0: so the each test gets individually pouched in a completely white, unbranded, uh, nondescript pouch that's mm-hmm. uh, white craft paper on the outside, and then um, outside of that, all tests get sent with our instructions, which are right here, which mm-hmm. we've also made an effort to redesign to be well-branded, intuitive, easy for somebody to follow. And those get um, packaged in an outer packaging, which is an envelope style, still yep. very, very thin. Um, it's right now tri with some of our branding on the inside, branding on the outside done in um, a creative way that is, Identifiable without, with, while being discreet um, from the point of nothing about it says pregnancy test at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so
1: if I were to describe that, I'd say it's a, it's a tri-fold envelope-like thing. It looks mm-hmm. about the size of a business check, something yeah. like that. Um, I mean, it almost looks like a check envelope. And then on the inside, again to carry on the band-aid analogy, it looks like maybe what you'd see a package of a of a gauze bandage or something like that. But but no 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 branding or identi- identification right. on that. Okay, so now you got you keep you keep alluding to that discreetness thing and I can guess but but Bethany, why don't you tell us why that's such a big deal. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that we learned in speaking with hundreds of women was, you know, who hasn't hidden a pregnancy test in the trash? Mm. Uh, And so there's this real unmet need around privacy as well as sustainability. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we wanted to make sure that we were able to accomplish was to provide a test where women would have that discretion. And so we were able to do that by eliminating plastic, replacing the plastic with completely new materials Mm -hmm. that would be water dispersible and biodegradable which would allow women to flush the test if they choose and or save it you can still save it if you really Mm. want to Um, and that adds that additional level of discretion and privacy and keeping it discreet low profile you can carry it in your wallet Mm -hmm. you know existing tests are really bulky Mm -hmm. um, large plastic housing units and not easy to dispose of privately right Mm -hmm. so you know if you open a trash can and there's a pregnancy test there, it just naturally elicits a lot of conversation. So you're either having to wrap it up and hide it. Mm. And women told us stories of going to great lengths, you know, hiding them, um, wrapping them in tin foil, all sorts of things. Wow. Um, And and wide ranges of reasons for that, right? I mean, women who are struggling with IVF Mm. also really don't like the idea of having a ton of pregnancy tests pile up in their Mm. trash. So it's it's very, pregnancy is a very personal To everybody Mm -hmm. and there's really unique reasons why privacy is important testing Mm -hmm. at work testing on the go Mm -hmm. all sorts of reasons
1: yeah so i i would have one of the questions if if i had ever had that insight which i don't think i would have um my question would have been is that a big enough deal and so how did you validate that privacy and discreteness was a big enough deal yeah. to be able to make a difference in this yeah. market. Yeah.
2: Uh, you know, so I mentioned focus groups and yeah. surveys with yeah. women early on. We did you know, wide-reaching surveys to hundreds of thousands of, of women mm-hmm. in the early stages. And then additionally, we followed that up with some pretty detailed uh, and well-respected market research from a third party who mm. really looked at it from um, a concept and a go-to-market um, product development, new product, product, product concept and whether it was you know had um, strong viability and and we received the highest scores that she's seen since um, polydent so wow. we were, we we're pretty <laughs> since impressed. Polydent, wow. <laughs> that's I think my yeah. grandfather's yes, time. So that's right. yeah, yeah. And there has been no innovation yeah. in this category um, from the form factor side in over thirty years. So yeah. stiff plastic stick, you know, really coming at it from not only the privacy side but the sustainability yeah.
1: side. So I don't know who is best positioned to answer this question. But somebody, one of you, tell me the origin story. Where did this uh, come from? Mm, yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, this was part of my uh, thesis uh-huh. for my master's degree at mm-hmm. Penn, an integrated product design program. And that's where I met Anda and the entire co founding team. Mm-hmm. Um so it started as um, like I mentioned, as a thesis project while I was here. And then we took it out of university and spent you know s- some additional significant years working through the product development.
1: So just a shout out. So it was, yeah. a, it was actually a student project yes. is where it got yes. started. Yeah. That's yes. pretty awesome. And um, yeah.
2: our professor, Sarah Rottenberg, was one of our co-founders yeah. as well. Wow. <laughs> it's
1: a great. it's a great yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. Here at Penn, by the way. So yes. that's 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 a, yeah. a, a, a great story. Yeah. And were, were the two of you involved from the beginning? Or?
2: We started working on the business full-time in 2015 mm-hmm. whenever we got into Dream Adventures. Mm. So that was what really kind of gave us the confidence mm-hmm. and the push to do this full time. Yeah and to kind of transition it from just a student project where you know we had good underpinnings of research and some early prototyping work, but it really did involve a lot more to get it into an efficacious product and and also a mass manufacturable product. Mm -hmm. That's another really big deal. I mean, we spent a ton of time on the bill of materials and making sure that we were reducing the overall bill of materials. Mm -hmm. It's only three components. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a lot of work that we had to do
1: in that. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the and maybe this is a question for you: the the unit economics here. So, in the existing, uh, about what about how um, what are these priced at in the marketplace, and and uh, what therefore does your cost structure have to look like to be competitive in this business?
0: Yeah. So, um, in the marketplace, they're anywhere from kind of fifteen to twenty five dollars mm-hmm. for a box of two, depending on whether it's a non digital or digital test. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the Value in the way that we've designed the test and our material substitutions is that the plastic and existing single use diagnostics is 52%. So we've taken all of that out and replaced it with cellulose. Mm. So that's, um, you mm-hmm. know, the housing of these are typically around $0.52 cents for raw material and ours is um, less than 7 Yeah. Um, so you know, some of the big unit economics that we're dealing with right now are on the labor side mm-hmm. and scaling our manufacturing to yeah. eliminate a lot of that labor.
1: But it's interesting, none of those numbers on the cost side are very big. So this is this looks like a pretty high margin business even for the existing. Players, is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so um, maybe you can help us walk through just while we're at it the channel economics as well. Bethany, how about that question? So if you yeah. buy it for $20 in Walgreens, what yeah. is Walgreens paying the manufacturer, and how does that all yeah. work? Yeah,
2: yeah, great question. And I will say that the pricing varies substantially between the retailers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Walgreens um, is one of the higher-priced yeah. um, retailers. So typically, you're going to see branded tests there for two, even if they're analog ones, that could be sixteen ninety-nine, yeah. right in that price range. So mm-hmm. that they're higher end of the market. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Walmart is selling some of them for nine ninety-nine for two. Yeah. But they're also moving a lot more pregnancy tests. You know, yeah. They're they're doing about 11 million in pregnancy tests each year compared to Walgreens. Units. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so pretty big differences between the margins on you know Walmart, mm-hmm. but the trade off is on the the volume mm-hmm. side compared to Walgreens that's mm-hmm. pricing higher. Uh, you know margins are really anywhere from like 35 to 45 percent on the retailer side, depending for the retailer. Yeah. 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 So
1: if they're if they're selling it for dollars that means they're buying it for six something like that yeah, yeah. yeah. okay and
2: then I mean you got to factor in all the 3pL stuff um, you know there's there's some additional fees that they require and a few other things but that's kind of round
1: and would ballpark they numbers. would the product go through distribution or would it be sold directly by the manufacturer to the retailer
2: uh, so I mean there's a couple of different ways that yeah. it can be done in our instance we would be selling directly to the mm-hmm. retailer uh, and then also I mean we're also really exploring direct to consumer as mm-hmm. well because mm-hmm. we know that there's a real opportunity there to do so um, you know Amazon is the number two retailer uh, and we also know that about 30 percent of all pregnancy tests are being sold online wow. we also know that you know the number two competitor is selling between 18 to 25 percent of all of their pregnancy test sales on Amazon wow. so there's a really big market just in the digital mm-hmm. space that we're pretty excited about because we've got some really strong digital marketers on our team and we've done some really Impressive stats in a pretty short amount of time on yeah. the market.
1: Side. I mean, just to state the obvious, it and it also can be shipped in an envelope. Yes, right, yes. Is... <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah.
2: Um, right. That's right. We didn't talk about that. It yeah. just can ship flat in an envelope, and yeah. it's super lightweight. So I mean, we're talking about really, lo- really low cost on the yeah. shipping side. So,
1: so this is a uh, a dilemma that I that I suspect a lot of startups face, which is you have a better product in, in some important ways. That may at scale have a better cost structure even Mm -hmm. than your competitors. How, How do you think about pricing a product like that?
2: Yeah, great question. And we're actually doing a second study on pricing right now. But one of the things that I can say there is that we know that if it's priced as the cheapest thing on the market, it's seen as being less accurate. Yeah. And we are trying to build a brand here. I mm-hmm. mean, we really are. So we do believe that there's value in being priced, um, you know, on par with the branded pregnancy mm-hmm. tests. Um, in later years, I think there's plenty of opportunity to to kind of relook at that as volume scale. But right now, for us, that's also where we we need to be based on, as Anna mentioned, some of the manual labor that we're dealing with. We also believe that packaging is a branding and marketing investment, yeah. so our packaging costs right now are notably higher.
1: All right, so Anna, let me let me uh, uh, turn to you. I, I remember, because I think I might have been in your final presentation when you were students, I, I, I have a vague recollection that mm-hmm. I saw this pretty early, and at the time, I think the feasibility was a little sketchy. So you had done some work on form factor and wouldn't it be awesome if, and you pulled out samples, right, that were non-functional. What did you have to do? That's a pretty daunting task, right, Mm -hmm. to go from a, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, to something that actually works. Uh, Anna, talk a little bit about how you went
0: about that. Yeah, Yeah, so at the beginning we did have um, this formal idea of what uh, paper pregnancy test used by a woman would be well well designed as and some of the basic research to theoretically understand how the technology could work. Um, so from there, we really had to do the research into the technology and learn. Um, we did a ton of reading through patents mm-hmm. on both the diagnostic side and the paper and non-woven process side to understand what materials would functionally suit the diagnostic and biodegradable and flushable needs. And then we also had to continually iterate on the product itself, the form, the feel, the rate the test actually runs Mm -hmm. with women to understand is it continually meeting the needs that our users need. So it took us about a year and a half from that concept phase to having an efficacious Mm -hmm. product where we were at over 99% accuracy, competitive sensitivity for this pregnancy test. And from there, we had to carry through um, making the product ourselves. We made uh, tens of thousands in our office. We set up a manufacturing line, mm-hmm. uh, mostly manual, with uh, chemists in the uh, New England area mm-hmm. manufacturing our test strips for us. Mm-hmm. And. Through that, we were able to build the validation data that we needed to actually submit it to the FDA and get us to our FDA clearance, which we got um, at the end of last year in November of 2017. Mm
1: -hmm. All right, so I wanna circle back on a few of those points, Anna. First, just as a factual question, what is a pregnancy test? Is, is it something you can buy off the shelf in terms of the the technology that's inside?
0: So yeah. the technology that's inside is something that you can buy off the shelf. Um, it's I
1: mean, not literally off the shelf, but, but you can find a supplier who can give it to you.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. The lateral flow diagnostic technology for manufacturing is something that's been done for years, it's mm-hmm. ingrained in the industry. So um, if you wanted to make a pregnancy test, yeah. you could theoretically go find somebody to supply, supply you with the test strips right. and make a housing and, and submit to the FDA. And so out. the
1: hard part is getting urine in the right place. Is that what's hard? What's
0: The hard part um, is rethinking the manufacturing process. Okay. Our... our product needed to be rethought so we've redesigned the way the test strip is actually manufactured mm-hmm. because we're using a new material and we've made it into only one component where the existing tests have seven seven, seven. yeah, mm-hmm. seven different pieces on there. So um, we've reduced it to one component and redeveloped the way that all of the chemistry is applied to the test strip so that we can put it all on one.
2: Yeah, and I mean, there's been some additional stuff that we've done there. I mean, we've got proprietary codings that we came up Mm -hmm. with to allow this to work the way that it needed to work, unique geometric flow paths, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of little iterations that – aren't necessarily visible when you look at the product. It seems you know, quite simple, but there's a lot of really smart, complex things that are being done that you can't necessarily visibly see. And that's on, like I mentioned, formulation adjustments and really just unique proprietary coatings that we've mm-hmm. been able to develop.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on business radio powered by the Wharton School. And I'm speaking with Bethany Edwards and Anna Simpson, who are the co-founders of Leah Diagnostics. So I want to go back to uh, what I think is a critical question. So you have this, you have a fairly simple idea. And so the details, the, the, what you build is going to be in the details, right? And how you, how you get it done. So I have two questions. The first is how you decide what you need to control yourself and how you think about working with suppliers Mm -hmm. because i'm guessing that a lot of these elements at first glance they're suppliers who do some of these things and so the temptation is to work with those suppliers to get it done um on the other hand the devil's going to be in the details and so that's going to give you the impulse to try to control it Mm -hmm. so anna how how, how'd you think about that
0: yeah so um when we began, we were looking at plenty of contract manufacturers mm. to work with on not only the manufacturing side, but the product development side. The um, the reason this is special and what made it difficult is that it's completely different from the actual manufacturing process of other diagnostics. Mm-hmm. So We did work with a partner um, at the beginning, but ended up bringing the development work all back in-house mm. because um, we found we were at a point where we were just dictating what development work to try to another partner and paying them for it. So that was something that we could do ourselves. So in 2016, Bethany and I took the development work in-house on the housing coding, the proprietary coding that Bethany mentioned earlier, how to make it act like – plastic while wow. break down like paper and the actual construct of the pregnancy test strip and the um, geometric geometric flow patterns that Bethany mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, you know, I, re- I remember having a lunch with your co-founder around that time and, and she was describing this decision. I want to underscore it because I think it's a really critical decision that startups face. You were using essentially a contract mm-hmm. R&D resource mm-hmm, where you're paying typically pretty high hourly rates uh, mm-hmm. for engineers and technicians to to do to help you with product development you do that of course because you need specialized expertise that you don't have but at some point you made the choice to bring that in-house my sense is that's usually what you should do I mean I think absolutely. it was the right call so Bethany maybe speak to that decision a little bit and give our listeners some advice yeah and,
2: absolutely uh, you know at the time it was pretty a pretty painful and obviously a very um, critical decision, but one that we needed to make. I mean, I think, I really do believe that if we hadn't done that, the company wouldn't be here today. We were mm-hmm. burning cash with that contract manufacturer and we weren't getting anywhere. And Anna and I knew that we could work a lot faster and iterate a lot quicker if we, if mm-hmm. we brought it in house. So, you know, we hired a Drexel co-op, we found mm-hmm. a really good chemist, mm-hmm. and we just buckled down and did it. And I mean, it made a world of difference. But it was. I mean, it was a pretty critical decision. But having that intellectual property in-house and being developed by us, I think also was really important and pretty critical. And, you know, I think the amount of money that you spend to those contract manufacturers, you can get in-house people to be part of the team and you can just work so much faster i mean you know i brought in my wedding embosser or my um, embosser that i used to emboss my wedding invitations and we just cranked out pregnancy tests i mean just like you know anna would be stirring weird mixtures Mm -hmm. and like baking it in her oven like i mean you can just iterate so
0: so much faster and we you know i think i do think development partners can make sense if mm. they have the expertise that you're looking for but mm. when you're di- in inventing something that's completely right. new nobody has that expertise right. so exactly right. why not bring it in house where you're a team that's willing to work on this day and night you know Saturdays and Sundays yep. where otherwise you would just pay somebody at, at an hourly rate yeah, to, yeah, exactly. yeah
1: let, let's let's put an even finer point on it so that basically the decision would be if, if you were doing something I don't know let's make let's make something up if you if you were making a new energy bar, let's say, and there were a a co-packer who had a cooker extruder, knew how to operate that stuff, and Mm -hmm. you're working on formulation, it would make a lot of sense to stick with that co-packer. Because it's a fairly standard process, you don't know anything about it, and, and it's not your source of competitive advantage. On the other hand, when you're essentially paying a general purpose problem solver, at uh, you know 100 200 an hour to be iterating you're better off having that internally mm-hmm. uh and capturing that value and probably doing it at lower cost yeah. as well
2: yeah. yeah and to anna's point i mean just to iterate that a little bit more i mean there's nobody that's making diagnostics this way whether yeah. it's pregnancy tests or whether it's any single use mm-hmm. diagnostic and so because of that there's no you know contract manufacturer that we can run to and say, okay, start making thousands of these for us. It doesn't work that way. I mean, the fact that we did set up a small scale manufacturing line and make tens of thousands of them by hand in our office allowed us to have really strong standard operating procedures and allowed us to know the time that it took to do each of those increments that we could then build on for semi-automation. But I mean, there's nobody that was doing this and nobody had custom equipment already set up for us you know or, or what we are doing requires custom equipment so right. there's there's no huge advantage to running to a CM because they can't just start mass producing them
1: yeah yeah so um i i wonder if you can talk a little bit about about the financing so uh, i i remember it was a bit of a challenge in the early days but maybe Bethany it's probably a question question for you
2: yeah. sure um so the very piece uh, first piece of funding I guess we received was whenever I entered in Temple's Innovative Idea Business Plan Competition. Mm -hmm. uh, You were not a as I an was alum. alum. Okay. We were yes. both, we're Temple, both <laughs> Temple alums. Ah, I see. So we uh, hit the universities in Philly pretty hard for uh, non dilutive <laughs> money. We did. So yeah. we got Temple, we got Temple Small Business Development, um, their their business plan competition. We did Warden Innovation Fund. Yeah. Uh, I went around and entered like every business plan and pitch competition mm-hmm. we could find yeah. to cobble together non dilutive funding. We got the stipend when we got into Dream It. And mm. so we had a, a nice little you know bit of funding that it was kind of non-dilutive that we were able to, to raise sort of on our and, own. And by
1: non-dilutive, that's a fancy name for grants. Like Correct. They're just yeah. giving yes. you cash. Free money, that's free right, money. free yeah. money.
2: Yeah. Went around to find free money. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, Anna and I invested every everything back into the business. Mm-hmm. So the first year and a half, we didn't take a salary, which mm-hmm. was pretty brutal. Uh, we were able to get some early grants from Ben Franklin Technology Partners, mm-hmm. which is local. Um, later on, a grant from University Science Center. And... Um, and you know we did that as much as we could, and then in 2015 we raised a seed round, uh, and then we had some follow-on funding, some from Ben Franklin, some from the local investors and high nets, and are in the process of wrapping up an additional financing round. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean it was it was a lot of little steps to be able to take that money and invest it all back into product development to show you know. The critical pieces, right, to prove proof of concept, and then get ourselves to regulatory clearance, Mm -hmm. and you know, get the issued patent—like all of those key things—that created value to keep having us, you know, become more valuable.
1: Yeah. What What was the most typical objection that you encountered with investors?
2: Mm, Great question. I mean, early on, I think it was really about well how do we know this is ever going to get cleared by the FDA, mm. right? I mean, just the – that was, I think, one of the biggest mm-hmm. things early on that we faced um, because early on it was a little bit like a looks-like yeah. and sort-of-works right. kind of uh, right. thing that we were getting yeah. money off of, yeah. right, uh, because there was, there was a decent amount of development work to do. So I think early on the risk was really around – you know, is the product going to work the way that it, it's it's saying that it's it's going to? And can they get the regulatory clearance? That mm-hmm. was a really big, a big hurdle.
1: Yeah. Uh, Anna, maybe you can, we just have a minute, but maybe mm-hmm. you could speak a little to the FDA question. So how, how do you get a product like this through the FDA?
0: Yeah. So pregnancy tests are class two devices. Mm-hmm. So um, they're low risk, but mm-hmm. not low enough risk that they're unregulated. I see. And so the actual process for a class two device um, like a pregnancy test is proving substantial equivalence to a same product um, based on functionality. Mm-hmm. So we benchmarked ourselves against the existing pregnancy tests on all of their performance metrics. And um, based off of that, we developed a plan for the testing and the data that we would we would show to the FDA. We had a meeting with the FDA before we started any of this to go over everything and get their approval mm-hmm. on the, the actual plan. studies. Yeah. Um, they provided us some feedback, a couple of additional studies, and um, we submitted, got some feedback from for additional data, and it was about a six-month process to get approval.
1: All right. Well, thanks so much for coming in. It was an interesting discussion.
0: Thanks, Carl. We thanks, Carl. All
1: right, and you can learn more at Meet. Leah.com. That's meetlia.com. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.